Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we're going to talk about Paris. <laughs> Paris. <laughs> oh, Paris. Yeah, I mean, what other city is more famous for food than Paris? It's a gastronomic capital, par excellence. Par excellence, yeah, that's right. It used to be like that, and then it went really downhill for Paris, didn't it, for a long time? When the Spanish avant-garde kind of like broke through, and then Paris climbed back out of the gutter. But I guess there was always a strong scene. I wasn't there like in the 2000s or 90s, but I I would guess there was, no? There has to, yeah, there has to be. There they were always the big ones, no? Yeah. I mean, yeah. But in the like overall scene, I think like at one point it was just a little bit swamped with really shitty touristy places until local people were sort of like, this is enough. We want good local stuff for everybody. I was in Paris only once and this was actually during COVID. So the city was completely different. Everybody told me like, this is crazy that there are no Asians, only the local Asians. Because apparently, usually there is always like a lot of tourism from Asia. Yeah. And this was like something really weird to see the city like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I stayed there for three weeks and I, I went out to eat a lot pretty much every day. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Three weeks is a long time. Yeah. I had a free apartment. Thank you to my friends, Raul and Pamela. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, still here, whatever you want. And yeah, stuff that I found interesting. Well, we can talk about the big names right yeah i mean there's such a broad spectrum of restaurants in paris obviously you know you have the huge michelin star bunkers right that are like so extremely famous and so mythical but then you have a lot of like lower sort of like restaurants and then you have a lot of chefs in paris that came from these like big michelin star bunkers and opened up much more casual places you know so you have a really sort of like wide spectrum i mean yeah like you say la perche you know i love passat like i mean he's been cooking in in la perche for so long. I mean, he used to be hired as a chef there. It used to be belong to somebody else. And then when that chef retired, he bought it from him when he was like 20 something, which is also super crazy. And yeah, I mean, he's uh, especially nowadays, you know, with so much Netflix exposure and stuff, he's probably one of the most famous three Michelin star chefs in Paris now. I always pronounce it wrong, La and I always mistake it with last hands. Yeah. I find them like so, somehow confusing. Yeah. Uh, last hands is the one from Pascal Barbeau, right? That's right. And La Perche is the one from, what's the name of the guy? Alain Passard. Alain Passard, of course. Yeah. What I like about La Perche is that, that it's such a forward thinking restaurant when it comes to vegetables. They have such a, a central place in, in his cooking and and elevating vegetables to a three Michelin star place for me is amazing the way he does it. Yeah, totally. I mean, in like many aspects, you know, for me, honestly, he's one of the most inspiring chefs that like I've I've met and like that I never worked with him. I like I applied a couple of times when I was younger, but never got an answer. But uh, yeah, like when I ate there, the food was amazing but also what you get from him, like his philosophy. He's such a poetic guy. The way that he talks about his craft, his job, he really, you know, he really sees himself as a craftsman and as an artist and he lives it unapologetically, you know? And he also does like unapologetically exactly what he wants without getting influenced by this dish or that dish or this guy does this, this guy does that. He doesn't give a fuck. He just does. He's completely enveloped in his world. And like what you mentioned just now, it's like that he, after he already had three mission stars for so long, he 
from one day to the other said, I'm not going to serve any meat or fish. That is like insane. Like from, from a business point of view, you know, from a, from a standing point of view of his sort of like standing as one of France's most famous chefs, you know, because in France, especially, you know, a couple of years ago, it was much more before everywhere else chefs kind of became public figures in France. It was already like a thing, like with the Trois brothers and stuff like that. They were in the newspapers and all that sort of stuff, TV. And yeah, and he just stopped cold turkey one day to the other. And also to like put himself in the risk of sort of like being like, now what? You can't use, you can't use chicken stock. What, what are you going to do now? And like he put himself in such an uncomfortable position to boost his creativity. And that's crazy, you know? I actually didn't know this because I've been following him for years. So, so his restaurant is completely vegetarian now. No, so he did start cooking meat and fish again. But, you know, he was famous for the way that he cooks meat and fish and seafood. Like, that's what his restaurant was famous for, because he does it extremely well. I mean, like, the way that he approaches cooking meat and fish and stuff like that, it's really, really special. And then he, I mean, I saw an interview with him where he said, I got to a point where I was so saturated with what I was doing and I felt really dull. And then I got into the kitchen one day and like I was working with, uh, I think he um, he said it was like a piece of veal and he said and the blood and everything and everything was so vulgar and so like, bah. and I felt really just like sick and uninspired. And I said everything else. <laughs> yeah. And also what I really, really admire about that kitchen is that there are no recipes, you know, supposedly like who can say, but the way that they approach cooking is very intuitively, you know, it's kind of like you have to understand where we want to go and you have to change the way that you operate depending on the products that come in. And it's all very spontaneous. And I think like, I think it's actually in a Netflix documentary where he describes it so beautifully as well. He says, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's going to come out. We change it in the moment, but that makes it alive and like that makes it risky. But the reward of that risk is you know, an incredible feast, you know, because he takes those risks, but when it works out, then it's like amazing. You've, you've said many things about Alain Passard that reminds me of Pierre Diagnier, like on a different way, because you'd say he just started doing whatever the fuck he wanted. And he just, this freestyle cooking you're mentioning, all of these things relate completely for me. I would describe Pierre Gagnier like like as a crazy jazz player, like a a freestyler at the highest level, and he's been doing that for decades. You know, like I actually saw him on a conference, and he was cooking there, and he was really doing stuff like that, like crazy. You know, like like putting artichoke leaves into a stock, and you know, like, like stuff like that are completely counterintuitive and he's where he is and he, he's got the respect he has. Man, I absolutely love Pierre Gagné, man. It's such a, <laughs> it's like, again, like I have, I never worked with him. I never met him, but like, I have so much respect and admiration and sympathy for the guy because of exactly what you say, you know, he's so like manic in a way. Like when you see him cooking, he's like fully in. Have you seen the, uh, those like old documentaries, uh, L'Invention de la Cuisine? No. The Invention of Cooking? Man. You have to, anybody who like can get their hands on it, they sell it as a DVD set, I think still, like you can buy it. But it's these, I think it's in the early 2000s that it's like an hour each on Pierre Gagné, on Alain, on Alain Passant. Uh, I think. I don't know, but like on Pascal Babot, 
or Michelle Brown. I know, I know the documentaries. I, I haven't seen them, but but it's just series of of great French chefs. Yeah, exactly. So good. The Pierre Gagné one's so good. I met these guys, both of them, Alain Passard and Pierre Gagné, also on a TV show. But do you know Iron Chef? Yes. But like the the ones from the nineties, the Japanese ones. Yeah. Where where the Japanese would dress with this super funny, colorful chef jackets, you know. And this there there was this special episode in France, and the challengers were Pierre Gagné, were Alain Passard. And also the chef from La Tour d'Agdam. Ah, yeah. Those were the, the three challengers, you know, and they, they beat the Iron Chefs, of course. <laughs> I, yeah, but you know, you know, actually what I found out like not too long ago is that that episode with Pierre Gagné, which is an amazing episode, by the way, like he does, there, there are scenes in there which are iconic. I still remember, yeah, like he mixing the butter with his hands into the pot, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, but he's like cooking crazy stuff also, like it's uh, like lobster in like. Um, yeah, it was lobster with pigeons, something like that, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. Like something super crazy. Yeah, like you say, he's kind of like, he's looking for a spoon, he can't find it. He just puts his hand in the pot and <laughs> just <laughs> stirring around with his like long hair kind of like falling in his face but what i've heard is that that episode it was part of a movement of like people especially who were the judges it was like the, it was trois uh, and it was uh what's the mashed potato guy yeah Robuchon. Robuchon. yeah Robuchon was a jury in a few episodes yeah and uh Kier Gagné went bankrupt you no know, in, in he had a restaurant in the countryside first and he went bankrupt and he went bust and a lot of the great chefs in France, they supported him so that he could come to Paris and open his new restaurant. Yeah. Oh, nice. And that was, I heard that that was part of it, this episode of supporting him and give, getting him the funds to yeah, just start his new project. Yeah, the, this inside thing that happened uh, in a food scene, it reminds me of, I mentioned La Tour d'Argent, which is probably the, the oldest open restaurant in Europe. Oh. It's like a 500-year-old restaurant. Yeah, it's crazy. And this restaurant used to have three Michelin stars in the 90s. And I don't know how many it has now, but at some point it, it had only one. And apparently one of the things that happened in the 90s, and I heard this from, I went to a culinary school uh, and the teacher was telling this story because he worked there, that they have, I don't know what, what the name is, a competitive advantage when you bribe the producers to give you the best stuff. Yes. And that's illegal. You can't you can do that. Yeah. So, and, and they told me like that they would do that with the sea product. He would be there like in, in the middle of the night after cleaning the whole kitchen. And that's the time where, where fish produce would, would arrive, which is kind of like, oh, you know, like why would you get your supplier at two in the morning? It's dodgy, yeah. And he told me like everything was like alive. Uh, all the fish products uh, they would get. They went to, to a trial and they lost uh, and never was the same again for Let Tour d'Argent. But I, I don't know what they're doing now. This restaurant is super legendary. When you go there, they give you a number for the Canard de l'Orange. And they will tell you like the numbers. Yeah, like Charlie Chaplin was uh, blah, blah, blah. The number this and that, you know, like they have all the record of all the Canard Orange that they've delivered. Yeah, that's super crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's such an iconic place. I mean, for me, one of the most iconic places is also La Strance. La Strance, you know, it, it's very easy to, like, not super easy, but it's kind of like, it's not so far off to mistake La Strance with La Perche because Pascal Babot, 
also for me, one of the most inspirational chefs ever. He was the longtime sous chef of Alain Passat in La Perche um, until he branched out and opened Las Trance. And he, his cooking style is very unique. He takes a lot of influence from Asia. A lot of it is, you know, inspired by a Japanese technique and Japanese ingredients through the lens of a Parisian French chef and also from India and Morocco and stuff like that. He's very free in his way of cooking. He doesn't really get like too bogged down, but his, again, his like technique is crazy. He's also somebody who just really uncompromisingly does his style of food, what he wants to do. How many are there in the kitchen? Like three or four cooks, something like that? At Las Trans, yeah, something like that. Yeah, three or four. It, and it's like notoriously hard kitchen to get into. I think David Chang once called Pascal Babo like the, the chef that chefs respect the most. He's not that well known to like people who aren't in the industry. But if you're a chef, if you're a cook, he's like a, a saint, you know, the saint of the foie gras tort. <laughs> Is that in the Momofuku book? I think he, he writes like a review from a visit he had at France. Uh, maybe. I remember reading that. He said like the waiters were like visible ninjas that would just make things appear at the table. Then there is also this whole astronomy scene. I was on, on a bad month, which is August. It's not a good month to go to Paris because a, a lot of places are closed. Uh, but this this scene of uh, clown bars and team... What can you say about it? Yeah, I mean, that's the other sort of like, that's the, for me, that's the most interesting side because like, yeah, you have those Michelin star bunkers and they're, they're kind of cool. But where for me, the real like lifeblood of the, of the city is and in no way like any less quality at all. It's just a different format. It's this whole like astronomy scene, um, which I think then also after it really kicked off in France, kind of like spread around the world also this approach of sort of like chefs that come from really high quality backgrounds and then say i want to do something affordable approachable i want to have a place where you drink really good wine that you don't have to pay a hundred quid for i want a place that i can like take my friends you know like you can't if you work in a three michelin star place you can't invite your friends over you know and say hey cool i'll you know i'll give you a discount or whatever and what's emerged from that from this new generation of chefs is such a cool, fun cooking and eating scene that's just really free. And it's just about making really fucking good food, having a really good atmosphere, really good wine, really good cocktails, whatever, and just having a really good time. And I have to tell you, like my last visit to Paris, that was the time when I went to La Perche and I hyped it up a lot in my head and it was a very good experience, but nowhere near Like it was nowhere near as fun, as much fun as I had going to places like Bones and Le Servant and Le Barata and all these sorts of places. I had such a good time. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same. I went there. I was in Paris a few days with my homie, John Basterrechea, and we went to Robuchon, to L'Atelier, which is like, you know, like something you expect all of your life to, to go to this place and to try the mashed potatoes from the mashed potato guy. And it was kind of disappointing, some of the dishes, especially the mashed potatoes. I was like, mm, I've done the, this mashed potatoes myself hundreds of times, and I know this is not good enough. Yeah. And, you know, two Michelin star place. Uh, we also had like this famous cherry gazpacho, and it was lame. It was like, mm, 
we we've done gazpacho ourselves afterwards and it was like okay this is how it should be you know <laughs> yeah and that 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 was the whole charm. there were a few good dishes and everything but it wasn't life-changing and it was kind of disappointing yeah and then we went to Pagatan, one of the best places ever eels incredible that was a favorite one and as you said like you see technique you see high level product you see creativity and also like bold decisions i'm going to charcoal grill uh, uh, a cucumber and do it properly and serve it with just three other but eels was amazing it, it's one of the best eating experience i've ever had and as you said it feels like a casual place not not pretentious the kitchen was open you know like super nice place i really recommend it yeah yeah i'm i'm totally on board i mean sort of like after we had this like dinner i i left a little bit like not this no i mean you can say i left a little bit disappointed because i was expecting it to be more and i mean like for what you pay especially it was crazy i think between two people we paid 900 euros for like a bottle of wine and dinner for two and it was like <laughs> nuts yeah <laughs> Honestly, and after that, I was like, I was like, man, I'm never doing this again. This fucking bullshit. Yeah, that's the thing. That that's the reason I, I don't go to three Michelin star places yeah. unless they invite me because I'm not willing to pay. You know, like my 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 top is like two hundred euros, and if it's like the experience of your life, maybe three hundred, maybe, but probably not. You know, but above that, for me, it's just not an option. Yeah. You know, like, I don't enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. But, like, um, part of the reason we went to Paris that time is because there was a famous restaurant at the time called Bones, which was run by Australian chef James Henry, who's now got an incredible restaurant outside of Paris called Le, Le Doyen or Le Doyenne. I'm never sure how to pronounce it, where the um, accent is where he grows vegetables in a farm and like has this really beautiful restaurant. But anyway, his restaurant was closing and we kind of took the opportunity to visit friends and to go to the restaurant before it closed. And we had such a cool time, you know, we sat down, we ate the whole menu. And then after that, we sat at the bar and ate like the bar menu, you know, and it was just sort of like oysters and croquettes and grilled prawns and stuff. And just the whole atmosphere was completely different. Uh, where at uh, La Peche, you felt like the waiters hated you, you know, <laughs> like there, you know, you're talking to people, you're meeting the people that sitting next to you, you're drinking wine together, you're talking to the sommelier and you're chatting about wine. And, you know, he then like recommends you places to go to eat tomorrow. And like, that's kind of what hospitality should be, you know. And Le Bagatan for me was like a super crazy experience. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and super like, I don't know how to describe it, like between mystic and romantic or I don't know because we go yeah. there and then, then there is this old lady outside smoking a cigarette on her chef uh, whites and everything and she's talking Spanish she's Argentina she was just having a cigarette and I, I see her and I think like okay maybe this lady works in the kitchen or something like I don't know we go inside and we start having uh, dinner I remember everything was like simple and perfect you know like it's uh some fries as a starter just french fries uh and the waiter would, would explain yeah this is typically done in argentina and our chef is from argentina and i was like oh that that old lady outside is, is a head chef and then uh at some point I, I go to the bathroom and you you get to see the kitchen and she was cooking alone that old lady yeah and she was delivering everything 
and this was really feeling like, like that that romantic archetype of grandmother cooking perfectly done. It was it was exactly that. And then on top of that, I also go to I don't know exactly where, like another room or something. And there is this whole culinary library from from that woman. And the, there were like a lot of super avant-garde books and everything. And I was like, what, what is this place? You know, like, <laughs> where am I? Yeah, I love that place. It's one of my favorite places in Paris. Um, it, it's like, I think you described it like perfectly. It's this like mix of romanticism and uh, mysticism, you know? It's like also... Like, I think it's her husband, the guy who does like the wine, like behind the bar. And I looked at this guy and I was sort of like, man, you're one of the most handsome dudes I've ever seen. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> black jumper, gray hair, slick back, clean shape, you know, with like a small like pair of glasses. He was the coolest dude ever, you know. And these guys, you know, it's kind of like there's no pretentiousness. It's just like they also they do their own thing. You know, it's kind of like the guy's a little bit moody, but he's not unfriendly. And, you know, she like you say, like she's just cooking by herself. And the food was so nice. Um, I remember like as a dessert there, um, on the menu, it said rice pudding, you know, and I, like, I love rice pudding, like at home, you know, like my grandma made rice pudding all the time. And so I ordered it and it came and it just hit the right spot, you know, because it was perfectly made. It was like with, I think it was with Mirabelle's or something like that. Super simple, but just really lovely cooking. I remember we had oak cheeks, we had brains, we had sweetbreads, and everything was like sweetbreads, potatoes, and a sauce. Bam. Yeah. Same with, the, she would even repeat some of the garnishes. Like, yeah, some nicely cooked vegetables and butter, and you would get the same in three different dishes because that, that's not the point of the dish. Yeah. You know, like, and then for dessert, we had also homemade hazelnut ice cream. Like a, a crazy place, really. Yeah, super, super nice. Yeah, and um, I think that, like I mentioned before, you know, like a lot of places um, and a lot of chefs who also then like kind of come from this background, they then went and tried to get that sort of vibe. And one really good example for me is like, especially after we spoke about uh, La Strance and La Perche, is Tatiana Leva and her sister. And so Tatiana Leva, she was already like pretty well known, even like when she was um, like before she had her own place. And she was one of the chefs in La Perche. And then she was, I think, the sous chef in La Strance for many, many years. And like, as we mentioned before, in La Strance, the chef stayed for a really long time. It's a really hard kitchen to get into. The level's incredibly high. And so everybody was expecting her to like leave after how many years. And... Um, and open another Michelin star restaurant. And instead she opened a really casual restaurant together with her sister who runs the front of house where they cook French Asian food. Asian because they're both, I think they're Filipino, like half Filipino, half French. And it's so nice. And I had a really crazy moment there actually because the food is very, very simple. You know, you get sort of like sautéed clams with homemade sweet chili sauce and Thai basil as like a starter. You get sort of like blood sausage, wontons, just really delicious things. And as a main course, I had like a piece of pork belly and next to it was a sort of like, like sautéed vegetables. And it was, um, it was aubergine. One was cooked, one was pickled. And then there was like a sort of condiment with it, like charred peppers and coriander seeds and i remember like eating it right and it's like it's very simple like there's no there's no hiding any sort of like weird technique or anything and it completely blew me away 
it was so perfectly seasoned and there was so much like intricacy in the way that it was spiced, the pickled, the cooked aubergine, the, the like coriander seeds that were sort of like, they weren't like, they must have been really high quality coriander seeds because they had this really fragrant aroma. And just that impressed me so much more than any sort of like high level technique that I saw in any of the other mission stuff is because that's really difficult. Also, like on the popular level, there is this super strong Asian food scene. They brought me to a restaurant called Pho Thai. It's a Vietnamese and it's by far the best Vietnamese uh, I've eaten. I've never been to Vietnam. I would love to. But I remember that they served us. There was like this kind of ravioli with pig trotters and something that they said uh, that is, ah, this is Vietnamese pho. And it was like some sort of, yeah, like liver pate. And also a dog marmite, the chicken because of friends. I, I I went there. They were worked with Gaston Acurio, who opened some restaurants there in in Paris. And that was a place also that Gaston would go, and he would tell them that that's a place Alan Passard would go, and when he would eat Chinese or or Vietnamese, that there is also like a lot of street food and stuff you can find. Uh, bakeries, just eating uh, like a super nice baguette, uh, which is part of being in Paris, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about the baking scene yet, you know? Obviously, a huge part of French culinary identity, you know, like places like Dupin et Desidées, I think it's called, you know, very famous for the pistachio snail and stuff like that. Obviously, Paris has a huge melting pot of cultures also, you know, like you say, Chinese, lots of Jewish culture, uh, Middle Eastern, you know, there's really lovely Middle Eastern places like Misnon. I think it's Israeli food. There's Urfa Durum that make like uh, super simple lachmachuns. And I mean, they're just... I mean, they're just incredible, you know, just like freshly baked lachmachun salad. But everything has this vibe of amazing produce, amazingly made. You mentioned Misnan in the Jewish quarter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that place. Yeah, they had these kebabs or just like an artichoke. Here's a, an artichoke cooked and enjoy it. I really like that place as well. Yeah, they also do this like just like a whole cauliflower head and they like roast it until it's super dark and brown and super, super tender. And then they like have like sauces and like seeds and stuff like that. And it's just like no bullshit, just super, super tasty food. Yeah, we also had that one. We also had the cauliflower. Yeah, yeah, yeah super nice. It's actually one of the places that they recommended me in uh, in Bones. <sighs> there's, there's, too much, there's too much to talk about with Paris, you know? I think we could easily make another... We didn't another... even touch the, the sweet stuff. Exactly. No Pierre Hamin. We can leave that for another episode. Yeah, we can do an episode on pastries or whatever. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Putlock Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Putlock Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.